This episode of The Explainer is sponsored by Daft Advantage Ads. Looking to sell your property for the best price? Daft Advantage Ads will maximise your chances. Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, what is shrinkflation? Now, it's no secret that we've been navigating a cost of living crisis in recent months, and that means the price of everyday goods has gone up considerably. But some of you may have also noticed that the size of products is changing. Only this time, as the prices increase, the sizes are shrinking. So suddenly your favourite fizzy drink bottle is a tad smaller or that chocolate bar you buy as a treat looks a little bit different. Well, the economic term for this is shrinkflation. It's the practice of reducing the size or quantity of a product while the price of the product remains the same or even increases. It's become a common trend in the food and beverage markets in particular. So is there anything we can do as consumers about this shrinkflation or is it just something we have to put up with? To unpack all of this today, we're joined by Edgar Morganroth, who's Professor of Economics at DCU Business School. Edgar, many thanks for joining us today. Hello. So to start, let's have a look at the term shrinkflation. It's a pretty modern term, I think, and probably not one we're all familiar with. But do we know where the term originated? It doesn't seem clear who actually invented the term, uh, but it's it's obvious that it, it's a mixture of shrinking and inflation. And of course, it, it's it's inflation in an indirect way uh, because you probably pay the same price as you paid before, but you just get less for it. And it isn't really a new phenomenon, is it? It does feel like it's escalated a little in recent years, though. So this seems to be a very, very old phenomenon. Um, and in fact, it goes potentially back to antiquity, certainly uh, when it comes to, to coinage, when coins were still made uh, well, from precious metals. There was something called coin debasement, where people took a coin and and basically filed or, or cut off a little piece of it. So you actually got less, uh, and that also led to inflation. And and so it's pretty much the same thing that we see now with with particularly food products. So it seems to have been around for a very long time, and it's it's natural uh, to see why this happens. And just how much worse do you think it's gotten then during this current inflationary period? It's slightly difficult to to tell because you would have to track this over a longer period to see whether it's gotten worse. Uh, it, it seems to be a bit more noticeable. Uh, but of course, uh, at a time when we see prices going up, we're probably more sensitized to check uh, what we're actually getting for our money. So maybe we're only just uh, noticing it now when it has been going on uh, previously. Uh, it might now be currently uh, happening a bit more often than than previously, but there are certainly examples that go back some years uh, uh, where we've seen this before. So is it purely consultant profit-making exercise or did some of it come from supply constraints perhaps in the last year or so? So... Firms obviously have uh, pricing decisions to make and packaging decisions to make, and a lot of different aspects go into that. Um, so what, what's uh, a size that uh, you could sell readily? So, you know, if you think of a, a packet of biscuits, it's a particular size that companies come up with with a view of, you know, that's maybe what you eat in one sitting or what a family might take. And that makes it more saleable. Uh, so that's one decision that that is made by them. Uh, and then, of course, is how much can you charge? And then, of course, how much does it cost to produce? And 
at times when you have uh, uh, rising prices, it might be a little bit easier to uh, sell for the same price less of the product because people seem to be more accepting of this. Um, so that might be one way of simply overcoming natural underlying inflationary pressures that are there. Or it could, of course, be uh, the case that it's a very clever way of increasing your, your margins and your profits. And it's difficult to disentangle this uh, without deeper knowledge of what firms are actually doing. And obviously, there are certain products this works on, though. For instance, like if you're selling a one kilogram bag of sugar, you can't really mess with that. So shrinkflation only works on certain products then. Uh, yes, but you could you can sell a bag of sugar uh, and uh, it is not a kilo. Uh, I think at one point uh, a bag of coal was 50 kilos. I think nowadays they, it, the coal comes in 40 kilos. Uh, um, so, you know, it is possible even there to change bit the size and you can also sometimes uh, make different as a, as a supplier or as a seller uh, make different kind of claims about why you've done this if you get found out. So you know you could say uh, a bag of coal at forty kilos is a little bit easier to carry, and you know fifty kilos was really too much uh, for people, and it was bad for people's backs. So you know you 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 could make arguments like that, and you see this uh, also with with say uh, chocolate bars. Uh, if you shrink those, uh, uh, you know, manufacturers could easily argue that, oh, that's simply to to deal with the obesity epidemic or something like that, when actually what they're doing is potentially just making more money. You could just uh, smell the marketing meetings around all of this, can't you? But when we say shrinkflation in terms of the size of items, Edgar, it's not just limited to that, of course, it can impact ingredients as well. Absolutely. Uh, if, you, if you have uh, um, a list of, you know, list of ingredients that go into your product, let's suppose uh, some some have a substitute that is cheaper, uh, then you know you can make more money by replacing the more expensive ingredient with cheaper ingredients uh, and uh, still charge the same price. You might actually end up with a changed taste. Uh, as long as it's not too big, people might still buy your product, uh, uh, but you've made more money or else you've, you've somehow or another dealt with the inflationary pressures that are there. Now, so if you've got a very high-end brand or a very well-established brand, that is a bit of a gamble then, isn't it? That's right. Uh, if you are uh, charging a premium in particular uh, and you reduce the the, uh, the quality or at least the, the cost of the ingredients, people might say, well, why would I be paying more for this particular product? Should I not maybe switch to something like an own brand, uh, uh, which potentially has the same ingredients? Uh, and in fact, it's it's kind of interesting. We, we don't do this in Ireland, but in Germany, there, there are consumer organizations that are actually testing products. And they sometimes find that the own brands actually have the better ingredients. So price doesn't always tell you what's the best product. That's really interesting. And that was one of my questions for you is who's monitoring this or is anyone? So you've just answered that there is no one in Ireland essentially keeping an eye on these products. And this is this is a real problem for, for consumers. You know, we obviously have labeling and the labeling is one of the reasons, you know, why we've got this is that it is possible to sell a packet of biscuits, but it's actually much smaller for the same price uh, uh, compared to what you paid, uh, you know, what, what what you got last week. So to protect the, the consumer, you put a weight or a volume 
uh, on the on the labeling and of course you also have the ingredients and consumers are then free to choose what they prefer to purchase but in reality of course this is very difficult especially if all the the manufacturers of a particular product doing the same thing you really haven't got much choice so you can't vote with your feet uh, and and uh, you kind of have to take whatever is there or not buy at all Selling your property? Ask your estate agent for a daft advantage ad today for maximum visibility, best results and best price for your property. Also, I, I know this from doing our own family shop, is that when you go into a supermarket, you're essentially bombarded visually by so many products. It's near impossible to monitor everything that you're buying on this level. But do we have any concrete examples of this? You know, have any companies been called out on it? Ah, there's, there are many, many uh, famous uh, examples. Toblerone, for example, is one that that uh, you know the the weight of a Toblerone standard Toblerone bar uh, was was reduced. The, the the gaps between the little mountains was increased, and that led with you know you had the same length, but you didn't have the same weight. The Cadbury's fingers ended up with a few less fingers in there, and so on. So you know there 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 are many examples like this, and in fact. The UK Office of National Statistics did actually uh, do an analysis of uh, of shrinkflation a few years ago, and they looked at, I think, 2015 to 2017, and they found uh, uh, well over 200 products which had actually been uh, shrunk, and only a very small number uh, where it actually had gone the other way, where where you had an increase in size. Is there any concrete advice here for consumers by way of avoiding shrinkflation? Are you better off shopping online, perhaps? Again, you need to check uh, very carefully what you're buying and what did it cost uh, uh, before. You know, th- and that is uh, that is a difficult thing when you have lots and lots of items in your in your basket over over uh, a space of time. But that's the best advice that you can give is is to to check very carefully and. Of course, manufacturers often have uh, the same product in in different size packaging, and sometimes you you see uh, ways of actually reducing the unit price that you're paying by simply choosing the different packaging. Uh, you know, you, something might come in 100 and 200 and and 400 grams, and sometimes it's it might be cheaper to buy four 100 gram uh, packets than the 400 or sometimes the 400 is better you just have to make that calculation and of course by having all that variety it is very difficult to make all of this especially if some shops don't stock the entire range uh, you kind of stock with whatever is on the shelves and Edgar, is there an opportunity here for brands who book the trend and don't reduce their size or quality of the product? There is, but it is very difficult for them to market this. So that's that's ultimately uh, uh, the challenge for a company to to you know that doesn't go this way when all their competitors are doing it to say, well, actually, you're getting more from uh, us than you are getting from our competitors. Getting that message across is is much more difficult. The reason, of course, it's happening is that it is easier to uh, sell a product with a little bit less weight or a few less items in there, and the same packaging than to raise the price. Uh, it seems that that consumers choose that way, and that is something that that the the manufacturers then use. 
so they understand the, how the mind works and how we all think, of course. And do you think is there an environmental element to consider here when, when we're looking at smaller packages, that kind of thing? Well, you, you often look at the same packaging, but less in it. Uh, and that's that's a question, you know, could the manufacturer have actually produced this the same product with less packaging? And you know, if if you if you think of a of a packet like like a Cadbury's fingers box, it's a cardboard box. You know, if you have half the number of fingers in there, but maybe you should half the size of the box as well, uh, and then have less packaging, and that would be the environmentally friendly thing to do. That's not typically what we get. And the same with the Toblerone example, the packaging hasn't really changed, but what you are getting in terms of product has, and and so it is actually in that sense, not environmentally friendly. So it does seem like a triumph of marketing then over environmental considerations. But this current trend, is it something that could reverse after the current crisis or are we just looking at a modern phenomenon? You rarely see prices go down and I guess you don't, uh, you're not as li- not that likely to see uh, um, the Toblerone bar or the, the uh, package of Cadbury's fingers go back to their original size. Uh, it's very rare that that happens. Um, I guess as a consumer, the the best we can hope for is that it stops. Oh God, I know. And hope is a great thing. But I know you, we're all aware of the 20% extra save on packaging for household goods in particular. Can we ever hope that it could go the other way and we could get more bang for our buck? Again, the 20% extra is an interesting marketing tool you know the question always is how much do you actually how much do you pay for that 20 percent uh was it really free or you know what's the comparator price here you know maybe maybe you are comparing it to a price that nobody ever actually paid um and that's often the case and indeed there uh, uh sort of sales we do have some consumer protection uh so you know it is illegal to be offering something as a sale item when it's not actually reduced at all so that that you know that we do have a bit of protection there uh, is there anything I mean, we discussed earlier about how germany is more on top of this than say we are here in ireland is there something that we should be doing if this is something that isn't going to go away and obviously the household or the consumer is up against it in terms of the cost of living is there something government could do tomorrow to make a difference here so germany can i think do this kind of consumer protection because they have voluntary organizations that actually do this and they they get donations or memberships uh, from the public and Germany obviously with with 81 82 million people is a very large market uh, so you you only need a small percentage of people to sign up to such a service to for it to actually you know ha- have some real teeth Ireland uh, by by you know, just simply the, the the misfortune of being relatively small, it's going to be much harder to have an equivalent body to carry out the sort of range of tests and, and kind of consumer information that you see in Germany. Now, there's no reason why we couldn't have something like this on a European-wide basis. Uh, a lot of the products that we see on our shelves in Ireland are the same products that you see in a German shelf. Wouldn't it be a good idea to maybe have uh, sort of a Europe-wide checking of, say, ingredients or quality of, of items uh, and consumers being able to tap into that knowledge base in all of the countries, including Ireland? Uh, I think that's the, the, the best way that we could probably tackle this. It's so hard to believe, really, that we don't already have a Europe-wide set of rules around this. 
we do have consumer rights uh, law, which is European, but you know the the thing here is that we're not really breaking a law by changing the size. You know, we are saying on the packaging that we're now selling you less for the same price. So everything is out in the open. It's not like it's a con as such. And so there are no laws being broken. You know, it's just simply that that uh, manufacturers use a particular aspect of human nature to their advantage. Yeah, it really is one to keep an eye on. And especially as we're now hopefully coming out of an inflationary period, we'd like to think that the size and the cost of the products will work in our favour. Uh, perhaps it really is an ad for making our own treats at home and for getting the shop bars of chocolate. But look, uh, Edgar, thanks so much for joining us today and explaining all of this for us. Thank you. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by Daft Advantage Ads. Looking to sell your property for the best price? Head to www.advantage.daft.ie today for more info on the best way to sell your home in Ireland. Thanks again to DCU's Edgar Morganroth for joining us today. You've been listening to The Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.